You can turn to Philippians chapter 3 as our text today. I'm going to break down the three scriptures in there, but I'm going to do a little pretext as we begin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that already our hearts are being honed and back to the reality of who you really are and how life really is, your kingdom and your rule in our hearts now coming forward. Thank you. As we broke open the scriptures, we pray that you speak to us, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our hearts. We surrender to you in every perfect way. God, keep us in Jesus' name. Say amen. 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 Well, this morning, what I want to share with you is a continuation kind of what hopefully what's been going on. Uh, Really, our Wednesday nights have been a special time. We've set aside the fall as presence, which is really important to us. We believe everything happens out of the presence of God, out of the acknowledgement of God and who he is, his kingdom in us, his ways in us, moving through not denying things, but actually overcoming things with a greater glove, a greater power, a greater strength that actually brings us into real life. How many agree about that? So I love this whole theme, presence, and just to note about, you know, we could probably call ourselves a presence-driven church or presence church. In other words, we believe those things that if we move from encounter with God, that personally changes us and changes everything. How many agree about that? So I release you to think freely. Already you're here at a crazy, wonderful church on the edge, and so just go, right, go with it. On the edge, all the way with your soul and spirit. Say amen to that, all right? And what I want to pretext with you is this, out of Acts chapter 3, it says this in 13, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, had, they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love that scripture. Here's the, the Passion Translation by Brian Simmons, a great friend of ours. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had any religious training. They began to understand, here's the phrase I love, they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Isn't that amazing? Let me say that again. They began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Isn't that amazing? So so what does that do? That qualifies as every person in this room because all you got to do is spend time with Jesus. Is it that simple? Yeah, let's just keep it simple and profound and life-changing and amazing that when you spend time with Jesus, really spend time with Jesus, you are changed. And it affects you so much so that other men recognize that you spend time with Jesus. That's great. That's so fantastic. And this is our heart. It hey, Justin, how are you? What the heck? Good to see you. It is your wonderful back. It is major, Justin, right? It is wonderful to have you back after being deployed. Give him a big hand, man. Welcome, welcome home. Oh, my gosh. And wearing pink. How powerful are you? You're the best. I'm okay. All right, back to the story. Okay, here we go. So, so if you go to Philippians, which I really think is amazing. Sorry, Justin, you're just the best. We've been praying for you to come back. Oh, my God. So good. All right. So in this, why do I pick Paul out of Philippians? Because Paul, of all people, he embodied the transformation of spending time with Jesus. Yeah, but he missed Jesus. Oh, no. He still spent time with Jesus just like you spend time with Jesus. In faith, in love, pulled off by himself, giving his heart to God. And we see this transformation of this man that's just fantastic. And in this brief set of scriptures, you can almost mark the way he's changed. 
And for you this morning, and for us, all of us, as I stir your faith, this is where I want you to take to heart the transformation of Paul and the reality that spending time with Jesus encourages this transformation in us because we can't do it ourselves. How many agree with that? I cannot. I work at it. I think I'm so good at it, and I'm an utter failure. And God does it. When I'm spending time with him, he does the thing I can't do. Whew. All right. So we know this wonderful passage of Scripture. It says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. My brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a mouthful. Man, I love scripture because if you take the time to look past the black and white and see what's coming out of someone's life, you can be changed by it. Three simple things here this morning that are profound and powerful. Not that I have already attained. Paul, being a part of the Sanhedrin, being well-educated, a Roman citizen, if anybody had ever attained, he had attained. He would be the Stanford, the Stanford Harvard student of all of us. He would be the Billy Graham top executive who spent time with Billy or, or the top executive who spent time with Bill Johnson. How's that work for you? Under 50 or 40 or 30 or something like that. So kind of I'm just teasing. Or, or the top executive who spent time with Charles Stock Ministry. How's that? Amazing. I tease, but he's no slouch. He's the best Christian I know. Amazing. So he and Ann love God. Go after him all the time on a desert island. They'd be happy to go after God. Seriously. They'd get the dolphins and the fish saved. They would get the turtles saved. They'd get them all saved. Presence of God beyond. Okay, I'm done. All right. So, so. <laughs> so this, not that he already attained, this indicates that Paul, of all who could be built on his own stature, has set that stature aside to say, I am still learning. In this, indicating a posture in his heart that all of us need to hear, and don't get deaf on me, it's called Humility. Humility is so important, approachable, teachable, learning, learning constantly in the idea that you don't know it all, but you're learning all you can. That's what Paul's doing. This is our call as well. And James 4, 6, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. 1, Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3, 34, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In other words, he pushes back that proud part of you and he leans into the part that says, God, I need you. Am I always going to be weak? Yeah, you are going to be conscious of your weakness, but boasting in the Lord. There's a real important part of this, okay? So humility is so important in our life as we, because it really is a willful surrender of our life to God. Saying, God, I'm strong, but really I'm weak and I need you. And Paul speaks about this. He in the scriptures before, he counts it all as lost. He counts it all as dung, all the things that he's achieved. Is he saying in that disregard for the things that have built him for the person he is? I don't think so, but I think of all the people who had all his trust in the wrong things, Paul did. But stepping away from that, he's separating himself. John, what do you mean the difference between disregard? Disregard is like the hate your old life and anything that happened. I, to some degree, understand we don't, we appreciate what God has done, but we separate ourselves from it, cluttering our obedience to him in the now and the future. We want to, 
In other words, we approach the things of God that he's done in life with absolute thanksgiving, and we approach the step in our life with faith in him and his faithfulness, but we don't systemize or build our arrogance or our strength on what we've accomplished. Does that make sense? So we look past our life and we say, God, thank you for the things you've done in my life. I see how you moved here. I see how you moved there. I see how you moved here. And I'm going to remember that, but now I'm attaching myself to exactly, exactly how I don't know, but I'm attaching myself to obedience with you. And I'm surrendering myself to your life, to the way you're leading and guiding me. We approach it with courage. We approach it with forgiveness. We approach it with faith. Forgiving is one of the most nuclear power weapons in the kingdom of God, forgiving those behind us. Trust is a different story, but forgiving, and then if we forgive enough, forgive enough, we can begin, God may rest on you the perspective somebody else has had, and he shifts the way you think of them, bringing a grace to love them, even though they may be in their actions unlovable. But we have to surrender our will and our attitude toward God in the midst of this. The strength of sin is pride. Now, if you faced anyone with this, you'd say, no, I won't choose pride. But pride comes in so many slights that it can subtly draw us in. It's, it's the self-indulgence or the self-entitlement or I deserve to be treated this, I don't deserve to be treated this way or it's the I didn't get my way thing. That's what it is. And in so many ways, you can let that begin to define your position and you can put your power in it. And a lot of times you're right, but it really doesn't matter if you're right in that sense of relationship to people. How many know that's true? You can hold on to the truth and still submit to God and bring his love to bear in their lives by becoming submitted or humble before him. In fact, I think lots of times as we do, God even hears our cry all the more. Because we're saying, God, I know I'm right, but there's got to be a different way to do this. So I set my will and my feelings aside and search for your will to navigate this situation so that I may bring your love and your caring to bear in that person. Because if we don't learn to do this in our lives, when we're moving through to get the love of God to somebody else's, the rejection or the attitudes that come to us, if our will's in there, will stop us and become the obstacle to reaching their lives. We're talking about real life, guys. We're talking about real injury, real offenses with family, friends. Of course, those are the worst because those are the ones we expect the most out of, but they, they are most help and we have the most love for them, but we get the most offended with them. I'm, I'm not yelling at you because I'm mad. I'm yelling at you because I'm excited, okay? So. <laughs> but we got to learn to navigate, so we have to learn to set our will aside and we, don't, we separate ourselves from the things that could, that could clutter our obedience, and we remember his goodness, we go with thanksgiving, and remember our faith in him, because his faithfulness is there. And then we say, okay, God, how? One of the things we prayed this past year, when we started this year, Pat and I, was not how, God, are you going to do this? It's like, how? How are you going to do it? Every time we're faced with something we can't control. I spoke to a young man the other, the other day, and he said he's doing all that he could in the situation, but all the things are going wrong. He knelt his knee in the middle of his house and said, God, I can't. I, I'm even in my own way. I'm getting in my own way. And all the other things, God, I need you. And God met him there. It was so amazing to see someone's heartbreak before the Lord like that. 
holds on to God, but doesn't hold on to his, his own will or the, or the fuss of other people. God can work with a man like that, can he? Or a woman or a child or anything. Man, this perspective, this bending toward God, this, this biblical perspective, do you know stat-wise in the population of the United States, with 69% of the population of the United States calling themselves Christian in the widest range of things, only 27% attend church. And of those churches, I worry about what is really bent on the presence, on the kingdom, on the value of God. Not the extraction of information about him, but the surrendering to his life. When you get above, under 31% have a biblical worldview. Over 30, 40, 30 to 40, 3% too. 40 to 50, 5% too. How am I doing? Is it behind me? Or read it if whatever's right behind me, okay? 50 to 65%, I think it is. 50 to 65%. And above 65, 8%. 8%, 8! That's it, single digits. Woo! Biblical worldview, a presence-driven, presence perspective. God, you're the one in charge. God, you have this world in your hands. God, I am an agent of yours. Your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your ears. Let Use me. Let, let me. let me be a part of what you're doing in this earth. Only 8% above 65. Come on, 65-year-olds. Amazing. Tough. Okay, but 30-year-olds, you got some work to do. All right, got it? So that's pretty fascinating. Of that, pastors, 57% have a biblical worldview. 43% don't. These are general population surveys. Wow, that's stunning, isn't it? Thank God he can work with a remnant. I sure want to get out of my own way and be part of that remnant, right? Oof. Paul, in Philippians 4, 12, whatever I'm a base or a bound, I've learned that I can do the will of God is what he's really saying. He says, I, whether I base or bound, I can do all things in verse 13 through Christ who strengthens me. Now he's embodying what he says here in verse 12 here is that he's saying, as long as it's God moving through me, I'm out of the way. We can do anything. Come on, Paul, you're the best. The heart of humility is a willful surrender. And then lastly is lordship. Really, we're talking about lordship here. It's not a swear word, okay? Lordship. Lordship is the, is the reality that you belong to somebody else and you're doing his will. Isn't that right? Man, if I could call you to something, renew you to this word, it saved my life when I ran into the word in the 80s was my life. I can study all about Jesus, but was I under his lordship? Was I under his rule? Was, was I willing to do what he asked me to do? Not just what I picked and chose what to do, but what he asked me to do. That's very important. How's the lordship in your life? How are you paying attention to what he's called you to? Come on. Are you fighting? Are you pushing against the things that's really the very circumstances that if you embrace them with God's help will transform who you really are? Are you fighting that? Or are you going to embrace it? Go back to it and what's the truth that you know with the will of God and asking his direction and you'll see not only the circumstances change, but you'll change in the midst of those circumstances. Why? Because you're under the lordship, the control, the hand of God in your life. 
Come on, let's just take a moment, think that through right now. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, the stretch out of your life and the context that you're in, are you willing to say, God, I want your lordship in the middle of this? God, you, I know some things are right, but I'm going to set those things aside to seek you first. And God, I'm going to ask you to direct my path. A man makes his plans, but God directs his steps, is what Proverbs says. That is the indication of lordship. And we're under God's lordship. You, it looks like something. You look like you belong to somebody else. Come on. God, we ask for this right now. We ask for the power of your lordship to hit our lives. We ask for the truth of humility to break through our sense of right and wrong. God, we pray that you become that, that you overlay your reality, your truth, whether it hurts or not, whether we want to or not. And we say now, we willfully submit and surrender to your will. And we pray and, and, and set the course of our life in the next months and years under your lordship in Jesus' name. Can you say amen like you mean it? All right, number two, let's move in quickly. It says this, this one thing I do, verse 13, I forget those things which are behind and reaching toward. So I forget those things. I let go of the past, okay? Now look, this is critical in our lives, all right? So I mean, it's, it's hard. So many people are imprisoned by the failures of their past or they're imprisoned by the successes of their past. The second one may even be more seductive and more difficult to break. But some people get ruined by their failures, but you can be ruined by your successes as well. Now, I'm surrounded with a couple of great change agents, Charles, Brian, David, or some of those guys that really change it. They, have, they are genuinely suspect of systems that work all the time. It's really amazing. Isn't it okay to say? <laughs> guys, lighten up. Right, seriously, a little bit. So they, they love change. Just because we did it last year that way and it worked doesn't mean we get to do it this year that way because it may not work. And besides, I'm a little suspect of things that always work. And, you know, they're trying to, they don't want to be gripped by something that becomes a system. Is that all right? That's amazing, really. Most of us in this room don't like this. Most of us like things to work all the time. <laughs> but there's a few people, and thank God there's just a few that want to change things. That's good. And I've got two guys and three guys that are all about that. But they genuinely, you can see it in their eyes. They're like, could we do this a better way? Could we not be stuck? They have this genuine, I wouldn't say fear, I'd say a detesting or suspect of, of things that get like locked in. Like, no, we gotta break out. We gotta do it differently. I, my answer to that is no, it's okay. <laughs> Which would be most of you. <laughs> but I love that they wanna change because then we aren't stuck in a time warp. We aren't stuck in ways that are old. We aren't stuck in like, we, all, we never did it that way. They're like, let's do it differently. Even if it worked last year, let's do it differently. I love that about them and slightly hate it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay, for time's sake. The heart of letting go is change. And people don't want to change. Change always feels like loss. Change feels like, but we all, I, I like my coffee at nine. I like, I like to take a breath. I like to do this. I like my, my indulgences at a certain time. I don't want to give them up. But change comes no matter what. I was talking to a mother the other day with a family doing a change and blending things. And she said, you know, but the one daughter said, she's 18, I like it the way it is, but things are going to change anyway. The best change is intentional change. You're working with God to set a new course. 
What change has God brought to you? What is he knocking on your door? What is he, can I say it, haunting you with at night and you're ignoring him? He wants you to, you don't have to be like that. You're living below your standards. Come on, come on, come on up here. Come on, do it this way. But I don't want to do it that way. Too bad. <laughs> right? Come on. Change, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, actually 16, 17. It says, you know, Therefore, if any man, verse 17, is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creation, right? He's a new creature. But not to know him after the flesh is what verse 16 says. Verse 17 says, behold, he's a new creation. And we're, we're commanded then to see it new. We're starting to see things new and changed. Agree? So how are you looking at things? The old way, or are you looking at things the new way? Do you know that change is one of the most difficult things? And I'll just do this real quick. 4,000, study of 4,000 businesses, 25% of them are successful. Why were they successful? Because every leader in that was looking for the change. What is new? What can we adjust? What can we change? That was consistent in four, and this is a secular study, 4,000 businesses only 1,000 were successful because they're looking for a change. They actually called a diversity index where they're moving, looking for something different than what they've got. And then they were making a plan for it. Do you have a plan for your change right now? Do you have a plan to let go of the past, let go of the bad, let go of the, the good and move to the next thing? Because it's, it's not the, it's not the, it's the, gosh, God, here's, I'm obeying, so let's walk in that obedience, and we'll do it differently. It's the adventure. It's the willingness. Paul, if anybody, could have leaned on to his old stuff. He really could have. He could have held on. We must let go of the systems. We have to go to God. How exactly are you going to do this, Right? Come on. In a moment right now, let's just take a moment and pray this way. Because I don't know how much time we have left, but as we get too close. Are you willing to change? Let me ask you. Are you willing? So let, and yeah, you can answer this quietly. <laughs> now you're being a video talking to <laughs> Okay. Do you have a plan for change? Come on. Just thinking in your mind. In your attitude, in your heart, in your marriage, in your children. Do you have a, do you have a plan for change? In your workplace. In your own Stewardship of your personal being, practically, physically, relationally, soulishly, spiritually. Do you have a plan for change? Change happens anyway. Let's make a plan. God, I pray for the ability and the courage to let go of the past. All the failures, all the failures, let them go. We have now and the future. Let go of all the successes, God, as well, so we can rewrite the script and we won't be cluttered in our obedience towards you. God, we ask that you would break in to our lives with righteous change, that we get from, go from this place of believing you to a greater place of believing you, to a larger place of seeing you, to a larger place in our own hearts of loving. We ask for this on purpose. If you believe that, you say amen. amen. All right, last one. It says this, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the call of upper call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this part because what is he really asking for is to draw close to God. What is he asking for is to, is to be like God. And if you back up to verse 10, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So look, this is, the, this is the goal that I would be like Christ. How do we do this? Through suffering. How do we do this? Through a painful death of your will. That's how we do it. Yeah? People are amening me like crazy. It's going crazy in this place. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, let's just call it. Let's have a good death, all right? Let's not have a bad death. Let's have a good death. It may be ugly. It may be you kicking and screaming, but as long as you die, that's the important part. You understand what I'm talking about, right? It's like, oh, you have to do this. You can go through it. But here's the problem. Like in verses 18 and 19, when the scripture says, for many walk whom I have told you often and now let you even weep, now tell you even weeping that they were the enemies of the cross of Christ. For whose end is destruction, whose God is rebellion, whose glory is their shame. For they set their mind on earthly things. There the deal is. There's the loss. And here's what's the gain? The gain is moving through suffering with God's will in your life, dying to yourself and being resurrected to a more you than you ever were. More happy, more God's hand, more released and free from the things that would be obstacles in front of you. Oh, man, we can get past her unforgiveness. Oh, man, we can get past her mouth and her bad attitude. We can get past his grouchiness. We can get past that. No worry about that. That's the kind of thing you're looking for because the offense is no longer in you. But if you bite, if what looks like 18 and 19 looks like God's got some status with God, and then they start to break into all those things as pride and that arrogance and that position sucked them off to the side, and now who's God is their belly, their gratification, their earthly gratification is their belly. Looks like they've been spending time with the world and not spending time with Jesus. Don't you think? Going back to the beginning, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more he deals with us. But he's so great. It's like... In Exodus 20, it says, you have no other gods before me. You only make, in verse 4, it says, you will make even craven images of them. In verse 5, it says, it says verse 5, actually, somewhere in there, it says, I'm a, jealous, I'm a jealous God. So is God an egomaniac? No. But he's, he's the one who laid his life down for us so he would love us. We trust that kind of love. Everything else will, will pull you into the world system, use you, and spit you out. The second world, busyness and position and possession are things that the more you have, the emptier you feel. Are they fun for a season? Absolutely. But at the end of it, it doesn't bring the substance of life. And it will it'll deceive you and pull you off to the side. Now, do I have a nice house and nice cars? Yes. They don't own me, but I certainly enjoy them, but they don't own me. If they don't work, I'll got ones that will. That's all right. Don't worry about it. I love those things and appreciate them because God does blessing overtake us and gives us position and status, but that's not what we count on. We count on him. We count on obedience. We, we actually say, isn't it in Romans? It says we have grace and apostleship for obedience. That means we have authority and power, the grace of God, the enabling power to obey. But we spend most of our time fighting obeying. We get good for a little bit, then the blessing of take us, we get a little slipped into, we feel good about this, and then God comes for our, our attitudes. We're like, what? Not really. <laughs> really. Why? Because he really loves you. He won't take advantage of you in the right way. He will use you, but he'll refresh you and strengthen you. All right. Two minutes. You have two minutes with me? All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 
He's speaking of the soldier and, and I'm going to just, because we have time frame, soldier and the athlete and the farmer about the transformation. And he says, the soldier does not get entangled in the things of the earth. What are you talking about this? I'm talking about the strength of pressing on or pressing toward is in discipline. We've got to give our disciplines to God. We certainly surrender to his will. We definitely let go of the past. We've got to be, the, it's the part where Paul's talking about reaching toward the future, reaching to what's coming up. We've got to have the go-to. And the go-to is our disciplines. And he measures it out in these three things. I'm just giving you their John Leach's perspective, but the soldier knows his boundaries. He knows, just on. Don't you have uh, people that are over top of you as far as your authority? And yet you also have young men that you have authority over them. So you know your boundaries. You know your assignments. You don't get entangled in things that you don't want to be entangled in. So he's talking about know the measure of faith that you have. Know the grace that God has extended to you. Know the world that he's put into your hands that you reach out and touch and hands and practical and in relational. Know that world. Be responsible for that world is what he's talking about. Don't get entangled in things you don't need to be entangled in. Don't get your nose in places you shouldn't be. In our world, we have all this information coming to us, but, but, and we live worldwide, but we, we, we think worldwide, but we live locally. So be attending to the world that God has given you without kidding yourself that you're thinking about other things and using it as an excuse not to attend to the world where you are. I hope that makes sense. Because we can tend to, oh, I can't because of, but that, you have nothing to do with that. Stay with where you are. Stay in your lane and do the will that God has given you in that lane. Attend to the things that bother you the most. Do it, okay? Secondly, as the athlete, compete as if you're going to win a prize. What do you have to do? Focus. What is God focusing you on? What is he speaking to you about? What is he haunting you at night with? Yeah, I just used the word haunting in church. It's okay, all right? What is he bugging you at the night about? What is he speaking to you? That you don't, I don't want that, I don't want to put up that. But just start to think. If you just open yourself up to it, he'll begin to bring things for you to focus on so that you make that inch progress, that makes inch progress. You stretch out to the world you have, and by affecting that world, you affect the rest of the world. Isn't that amazing? How many times have we seen this on the news? One little thing sparks something, that's all it's going out. Auburn University just had a great worship night. On the worship, as a result, they went out to the lake outside and they baptized hundreds of students. It's amazing. It started out with five girls who wanted to pull together for a worship event. Do you think they thought about 5,000 people showing up for worship? Maybe they did, but they're attending to the world that they were. And did they know that baptism would come as all? Because when God falls on it, the greater than falls on the situation that seems like limited now is unlimited. What were they doing? They were attending to the world that they had in front of them. They were focusing on what God had asked them to do. And from that, that spark changed everything. Lastly, the farmer in the field. We apply these things to, you know, these disciplines to academics, to, to physical athletics, but we also have to apply them to relationships. And that's why I believe God put the farmer in there. Because the farmer is, works at a whole different pace than the athlete and the soldier, doesn't he? There's an ebb and flow. There's time and effort. There's seasons. And so he plants a seed and he believes it'll grow. He attends to that field and waters it and it slowly comes in. And then all of a sudden the harvest. And it says right there, he's the first to partake of the harvest. What does that mean? By faith, by love, by seed, by seeing things that men can see, praying for other places, praying for other um, situations, praying for other friends. You're the first to see faith spring up inside them. They'll say a word, well, well maybe God, maybe God. Did he just say that? He never said that. I know it's going to happen. Here comes the crop. Do you understand that? 
Is this just me going crazy inside? I see these things. And that little turn or that little thing is a promise. You start to see that crop coming forward and then you water with more faith, water with more love, water with more hope. And you see before anybody else sees, that's what it's talking about. But it takes faith and patience in all of this. It takes seasons to do this. And we're such in a hurry to get things done. But God does it slowly, but forever. Please stand up. God, thank you. This is such a great season. I love the new year. It feels like a new year every time we go into Rosh Hashanah, don't we? And we talk about it here. So you have a new year in front of you, a new spiritual year. It starts with the fall. It starts with autumn. The slow death, end of winter. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't write the seasons. (laughs) I'm just saying. <laughs> <And I'm laughs> but it is like, it's beautiful in that death, the colors that come forward and the deepening of roots. And then the, when you just, when you think it can't get any grayer, that first bud breaks loose and God, it's magical, isn't it? In the spring and the long days of summer. What will you do? How do we begin? Spending time with Jesus. I couldn't change one part of me, but God can. Are there days I don't want to do as well? You bet. But it's the only promise I have I can count on. Come on. Father, you can change us. Being in this morning, our hearts are leaning in. Cried out for you for lordship. We cried out for you for the power to change, to let go. We're crying out for new footholds and disciplines. We ask you for grace. We ask you to help us. Change us, change our world and expand our hearts to want to change others and help them by your hand and through our obedience. Expand our hearts to see you, believe you, know you in greater capacity. Let our hearts have height and depth, width and length like you. You are all powerful. Everything comes in Submission to you. We want to come in willingly. In hope, in faith in you. In affection towards you. In promise. Thank you. Thank you for the breath of life that you give us. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for sending us out. We embrace this life in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Well, you look a whole lot better than when you came in here. I'll tell you that. So. All right. We're, we'll let you go get your kids. Thank you so much. Bless all those dedicating families, and thank you. So now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, presenting you faultless 
That is a stunning miracle before the Father. I bless you in Jesus' name. Have a great, great, great weekend.